Welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I'm Nathan. And we watched Saw X. Sorks. This yeah. week. Saw 10. Yes. Uh, someone, someone from your work was so kind as to, to yeah. buy us some tickets. Thank you, Jess. In gold class. Oh, yeah. yeah good Lord. Um, so, long-time listener Dave and another Dave from work <laughs> uh, came with us. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. from memory, that was my first experience watching a, a movie at the cinemas in gold class. It was my first experience meeting Dave. <laughs> yes. He's a lovely man. and uh, He intimidated me a little bit. Loyal fan. He... I mean, yeah, he's a very loyal fan, very nice. He, I feel like he gave the impression that he knows more about horror movies than me. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, a, he he's is, a he soft is, fanatic. He is hella knowledgeable, is yeah. well, the impression that I got. Well, I think the reason Jess got him the ticket uh, and us the tickets to go with him was because she didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sorex, what are your thoughts? Give a, a quick recap uh, for the listeners. Quick spoiler-free watch. Mm. I thought it was fine. Okay. Okay. Uh, I thought I was going in with zero expectations being very low yep. because it's sort of 10. Like, very late in the saga. Yeah, like surely that was never going to be good. And then I fucked up. And like the last hour before we watched it, mm. I was hearing stuff like, oh, some people say this is the best Saw movie or oh my. this is the goriest Saw movie. And then that, that raised my expectations just enough mm. so that it was let down. Because <laughs> it's, it, I don't think it's uh, the best Saw movie. I mean, I mean, goriest potentially. I don't know. Apart from the one kill, uh, the this one. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. He's he's doing an action for, doing an for action. those who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apart from that one, which I think was very good, and also reminded me of a certain kill in the movie Audition. Oh, like dude, a, I still want, I've still got to see that. Yeah, that's re- it's real good. Um, apart from that, it didn't really seem that gory. Yeah. Like, compared okay. to other the other Saw movies. Okay. But yeah, I I think it was maybe top five Saw movies, but mm. it was fine. You know what I liked about it? And, and I mean, by the way, I agree. Like, it it wasn't great, uh, but it wasn't bad. It was just kind of like mid-tier for me uh, in comparison to the others. But um, yeah, I'd say it'd be in the top five in that franchise. And uh, what I really enjoyed about it, uh, story-wise, was it, was it made you like empathize with Jigsaw. Yeah, I, It made him a likable character. Yeah, which is the problem. I don't want that. I don't want Jigsaw to be a likable character. Okay. I want him to be his just... His own self-righteous, twisted fuck. Yeah, like, well, I, mean, I, don't, I don't need to feel sorry for him. He still had that, but I think just fans have grown to love him. Just, I guess. Well, they, yeah, they, is, they love uh, Tobin Bell is the issue. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's what happens when you get a, like a good actor who's just un- seems like a pretty nice guy in real life mm. as a horrible, twisted killer. Well, speaking of original actors, that also made it tricky. Is you meant to go in this watching this on a timeline that takes you back like twenty years. Uh, and you know they've got the same actors with the crow's feet, <laughs> yeah. and the hair's different, and their voices are different. And yeah, I mean Tobin Bell looks fine. Like, oh yeah, he's got cancer. You know, that, well, that's fine. Yeah. I can buy that he's aged and looks like that. Mm. But Shawnee Smith, mm. like, definitely you know, noticeable. That that took it out of it <laughs> for me a little bit. Uh, but yeah, uh, on the news of uh, other new horror films, The Exorcist Believer came out in Australia this week. It did. I still have not gotten around to see it, but I, I will very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews, and I'm not uh, I'm not going to read into them too much because okay. I don't know. As you know, I hold the original on such a high pedestal. I'm uh, I want to go in blind. I'm going to take a page out of your book. <laughs> uh, and I texted you uh, earlier this week. I read that uh, we're getting a new Strangers trilogy from Rennie Harlan, the man behind Nightmare Four and Deep Blue Sea. Nightmare Four. So this will be interesting. 
and Deep Blue Sea. Because I, I don't mean, think it will be. <laughs> they, well, they won't be good. No, I don't think so because we haven't seen the sequel and we don't want to. <laughs> but how are they going to make three films out of such a simple premise as a home invasion? Well, I don't know. Are they, because I obviously don't know anything about it, but yeah. are they going to completely disregard the first and second and start from scratch, just take the core concept and ideas? Or are they going mm. to try and just do the usual sequel thing and try and make more movies based on the same things? Maybe, Yeah, maybe it'll be like different people. Kind of just like an anthology series of yeah. victims of the three people. Like each film in a different place in the world. That'd be cool. But uh, I, mean, I guess, but at the end of the day, it's all just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I don't know. Is this the new trend? Just retcon <laughs> trilogies. <laughs> and ruin them. Strange. Anyway, uh, today we are not talking about uh, new trilogies of, of horror films. Uh, we are discussing uh, an interesting subject because you get a lot of flack <laughs> about your opinion on this uh, subject, but... I'm, I'm hoping you can redeem yourself in this episode for the listeners. Oh, maybe. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a man at my partner's work who listens to the pod. Mm-hmm. I think specifically, I can't remember which episode it was, but I was. It, it, apparently it came across that I really don't like Australian cinema. Yeah. And I may or may not have walked into that myself because of the way I, <laughs> some of the words I say about him. This but is the I, hole you've dug. Yeah. I don't hate Australian cinema. It just, all of the ones that I've seen... Gave it a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And for some reason, I was saying this before, mm. when I think of Australian cinema, I think of like long movies where not much happens and everything is just kind of dry. And like you said before we started, it's like a slice of life of Australian life, but then there's usually some twisted shit going on. Yeah, there's not like in a lot of Australian dramas, there's not a lot of action. It's just kind of like gritty... Uh, scenes of like what happens behind closed doors in some of the questionable families here. Mm-hmm. And, and they're uh, usually pretty fucking depressing. Well, yeah. And I think I like that kind of fly-on-the-wall type of cinema. But okay. uh, yeah, Australian horror, homegrown horror today. Uh, a topic I'm very fond of. And Yeah, you uh, love all your Australian stuff. Yeah, we had to be quite selective. Um Choosing which films to discuss for this episode because there's quite a few uh, contenders, um, but I guess more so like crime thriller. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, in our local cinema, but mm-hmm. uh, horror was. Um, I-, I seemed to notice like a recurring theme uh, for the ones that we chose or-, or ones that I watched in preparation for this. Is it torture? It is torture. <laughs> yeah. What is with our like sick fascination over here with? Torture. I don't know. I honestly don't. Yeah. Maybe it's... I don't know. There's obviously like certain things in certain countries that people find scary. Like when you look at international cinema, there are like certain types of horrors that come from each country and mm. and ours just seems to be like torture just in reg- regular houses. Re- regular people doing fucked up shit to regular people. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just chance. <laughs> Bad luck. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. It's usually, there's not necessarily a reason for it. It's just wrong place, wrong time. Mm. And I guess part of the reason I enjoy Australian films so much is because they're so relatable as an Australian audience, um, but also just a very specific demographic. Like, I wonder if sometimes some of the f- the successful films, uh, or successful is uh, an oxymoron in this instance, but some of the well-made films over here flop overseas because they just don't get it. Yeah. And like it just doesn't um resonate with with foreign viewers, I guess, but they're always quite like unflinching. 
is mm-hmm. probably the best word. A lot of like unsettling characters, um, like we just said before, a lot of them, they appear normal, or like regular people that you see walking down the street over here. So to see what can happen behind closed doors is quite disturbing. I feel like there's also a lot of shots in the movies where like even the camera is unflinching. Like something horrible or fucked up is happening on the screen, yeah. but it's just a static shot oh, that yeah. doesn't move and it just holds on it. That's what I mean about that like fly on the wall mm. kind of technique. And uh, it's like you want to look away, but you can't. The filmmaker won't let you. They've they've got you in their grasp. Yeah. And that's what makes it such like a confronting watch mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And uh, I guess going back a bit, it seems to have started with what they call Ozploitation yeah. cinema, um, which I think started in the 70s. Uh, and some of the most iconic um, Australian horrors have come out of there and you've got wacky ones as well like houseboat horror next of kin things like that but generally it's these like b-grade exploitation films um, that have sort of an inherent explicit content uh, in all of them mm-hmm. so you're looking at a lot of like horror and uh, violence sex drugs all that kind of thing which really is in probably all of these films that we're about to talk about <laughs> yeah and I mean probably also they a lot of I haven't seen any of those films that you talked about, uh, but I feel like they'd probably rely on Australia's like reputation mm, to try that's and create right. the horror. That's right. I mean, we were saying a couple of episodes ago that like, or it might have been the Babadook actually, that um, the ones that get big overseas, particularly America, are things like fucking Crocodile Dundee and <laughs> Australia, because it's like just the cliches yeah. of this country. Like, Hey, look how wacky these Australians are. Look at this. They're the fucking... Look yeah. at their lives. It's weird. Yeah. So, it's like exploitation, like, to a T. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I think this is going to be a nice segue um, from the last episode. Uh, the first one we're going to discuss is Body Melt from 1993. Yeah. Uh, we kind of touched on this before, um, saying how it was just a, a kind of body horror, almost anthology in the one film. Mm-hmm. Um Directed by Philip Brophy, who we, we got to see part of a Q&A with at mm-hmm. Balf. Um, and it was written by him and Rod Bishop, both of whom I think were ex-members of a, a punk group. And they composed a soundtrack for it, which was very fucking loud when we were watching <laughs> it in the cinema. Like that intro, like 90s rave score was very loud and oh, repetitive. Like, it's like synth on top of synth in that movie. Yeah, but I get it because like pill freaks generally listen to that kind of music because they can go... For hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and starring Gerard Kennedy, Andrew Datto, Ian Smith, who of course was Harold from Neighbours, uh, and Vincent Gill, who was Knight Rider from Mad Max. I don't know if you noticed that. He was the I did. I guy did with the missing that. teeth at Nowhere. Oh, yes. Very cool. Um, and we mentioned in this, this last episode that uh, this did better overseas than here. Um, it made about $1.6 so very low budget, very... Much a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the budget uh, itself um, is very ambiguous. I can't find an exact figure, but it, it was little. Yeah, well, I feel like that's going to be common in any sort of like small, very small like production oh, yeah. movies. Not necessarily just Australian, but in general. Like hard mm. to find exact. If it, They're probably just scraping the bottom of the barrel for a lot of the stuff anyway. So oh, yeah. Even yeah. they probably don't know how much they have. Which I guess is probably... Uh, good that it was a practical effects film because then they just had to like look around their kitchen and see what <laughs> they could use for various bodily fluids. Mm. Um, and I think we touched on this. They they wanted it to be like an anthology series type thing. Um, so uh, because the story was based on sort of four short stories that um, Brophy and, F- and Bishop had. So 
he explained in the Q&A that what he did instead was he had all his characters live in the one court, like yeah. the suburban court, um, and they all get used as test experiments on this new drug that essentially melts your body from the inside out, hence the yeah. title. And uh, you mentioned this walking out of the cinema when, when we saw it. It's um, it's not a good movie, but it's great. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> it's a good watch. I loved it. Like I like it a lot. Oh, I love it too. I love it a lot more than uh, than a lot of other bad movies I've seen. Yeah. But maybe, I don't know if it is just because it's like typical Australian shit and, and the stuff in it. I think it just knows uh, what it is and rolls with it. Yeah. And that's part of the fun. I think they, they knew what they were going for, leaned into it, and it came out good enough. Mm. I mean... Especially when you get the scenes of like all the jacked up steroid like, oh, yeah. bodybuilder types, like, and they all have high pitched voices. Like, they had to know that they're half making a comedy in this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think when you're making a film like horror or comedy that's on such a low budget and has such a strong reaction from an audience, uh, you need to not take it seriously, mm. or else the audience won't believe you. Yeah. Whereas and they're they're along for the ride if you make fun of it yourself. Yeah, and. Back when, like you said, he he originally made this as an anthology. Mm. It's very evident in the movie because uh, it's yeah. kind of like these four stories that are very loosely connected. Mm. I think it's a good enough like uh, connective tissue between them, though. Yeah, but I think it would have been just as fine if it was an anthology. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely some like clean breaks in the acts, but yeah. I guess apart from just all being residents of the same street, there'll be like one person used to work with this other guy from this story or um, this family is staying in this same uh, like health resort where the boss, um, you know, was sleeping with the main guy or the guy that dies first kind of thing. So yeah, they they go beyond just being neighbours, which I like. Um, And have you seen The Stuff yet? I have not seen The Stuff Okay. This is kind of like a more disgusting version of that where it's like this commercial food product like a like mellow fluff um that just sweeps up the uh, american consumers and they go crazy for it and then it ends up just melting their insides and becoming this big goo like from ghostbusters and just fucking nice. transfers from one victim to another um but essentially uh they have um these sachets of this powder it's like a dietary supplement called vimuville like delivered to their mailboxes in this court um, and you kind of like pour it in water and fizzes up and you mm-hmm. drink it. And um, they have like this, like I said before, like a health resort that they run where you can go and stay and um, all the the food is like healthy and there's like exercise bikes and mm-hmm. stuff like this. But uh, then they, they all just start falling apart or exploding <laughs> or melting or growing various appendages and it's gnarly. It's sick. Um, and something I found very funny um, was in that Q&A, Brophy was saying there was a 63-minute censored release in India, which removes like 20 minutes from the film. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was the fucking point? Well, at, at that point, you're just showing a highlight reel of the body horror. Yeah, it's you like know? when I hear censored versions of Eminem on the radio, and there's just so <laughs> many silences in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but man, some of the things in this film are great. Like, I think the first one is like fucking tentacle things, like these spidery legs mm. creeping out of this guy's throat into his own mouth, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, you got the fucking because each each of the like I don't know victims, if you want to call them, yeah, they sort of 
well, their their bodies melt in like different ways. Yeah, I guess it's meant to be an indication of like the different stuff that's getting done to him because mm. there's the one guy who has the sachets. Yep, and his is kind of the most look vague. Like he just kind of starts his face just starts melting. I don't know. He's definitely the one that it seems to be the only one experiencing hallucinations. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's the only one that sort of relates to that first guy. Like he's getting... they a, had the same thing. Yeah, because he but gets then, a, like a chest massage <laughs> and a, a rib removed from him. Oh, that's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, but then you get like the pregnant chick who like, who said, yeah, Harold from Neighbours or Home and Away, whatever the fuck yeah. it is. Neighbours. Uh, no, you're Neighbours. I didn't watch Neighbours. Uh, Harold from Neighbours is her doctor. And so he's been experimenting on her and her baby. Yeah. And you yeah. get like the fetus like falls out or like, Oh, the fucking placenta. Some, the placenta or something alive falls out and then starts attacking the Becomes the husband. like a face hugger. <laughs> yeah, like that's intense. And I love when her stomach explodes. You've got these ribbons like blowing <laughs> yeah. out with a fan. It looks like the fucking turkey from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. And then, but then the, the one that's like out of place kind of is like the family that goes to the health resort. Mm. The, the father starts experiencing stuff the most for some reason. Uh, yeah. And he just starts like... I don't know. Like sneezing ex- this sneezing mucusy shit. and stuff out of his nose and mouth. Mm. But then the son, just nothing to do with the movie happens. He just falls off a skate ramp and dies. Well, I thought maybe it's because he's eaten their food and that shit's in it. Like, it softened him up inside. So when he does <laughs> crash on the half pipe, he just gets splattered. That's just like, it, as weird as it sounds, that was the funniest bit to me. Like, <laughs> you got this horror movie about, you know, this pharmaceutical company that's killing people. Mm. But then one of the deaths is just... Because he wasn't wearing a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. got nothing to do with the movie. It's just yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, that's true. It does catch you off guard. Um, and how about the fucking... The footlong tongue. <laughs> oh, the Gene simmons I forgot about that one, yeah. She just chokes on her own tongue that like triples in size in the doctor's office. It's fucking gnarly. So that that's the obviously the best thing that this movie gets going for itself. Yeah. It, it, plays with, it plays with body horror and it plays with like practical effects to... Mm. An extreme degree. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. I, I also love when um, the guy's looking out the window and he's got his back turned to um, Ian Smith's character. So he walks in and he's like trying to grab his attention. Puts it on his shoulder, turns around, and his fucking eyeballs are popped oh, out. His yeah, mouth yeah. is all splayed apart. Grabs his like side of his face. And then they find like a human ear, like yeah. fused onto his hand. Um, but yeah, some crazy characters. Like you've got the like Italian boys, this like inbred family. The fucking bodybuilders you mentioned. My favorite is the scientist, though. The, like, fucking drug-fucked, funny scientist guy. Willie, I think his oh, name is. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, and the coroner at the police oh, yeah, station. Oh, yeah, yeah. My favorite line of the whole film is when he walks into the cop station at the end after this guy's been, like, projectile vomiting, like, exorcist-style <laughs> shit everywhere. Walks in with a tie-dye shirt, and he's like, he's got my fucking shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> that was just perfect. Cherry on the cake of this film. Oh, uh, yeah. Um... And you know what's sick about this is like those shots from inside the body where it shows the, oh, yeah. the stuff like working its way through their arteries and shit. And it's like a sped up internal like medical shot. Mm. Really cool. So that's our first one. 90s body horror from our own backyard. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about some depressing shit. Because that, <laughs> that, that, that's the, the most fun movie that we're going to talk about. Definitely, today. yes. It's, it's the only one really that makes you laugh uh, at any point. Well, I'd say another one has, like, moments of levity. Yeah. Well, well no, uh, you have a point, yeah. All right, so being uh, an episode on Australian horror, we, of course, have to address the elephant in the room, potentially the biggest horror to come out of this country, uh, even more so than Babadook. Yeah, certainly, arguably, one of the most iconic, right? I would say so. 
and that is uh, Wolf Creek. Yeah. 2005. I remember first seeing this at an all-nighter um, with friends in high school, and I was probably coming in and out of it because I was <laughs> passing out by that point. Um, but some scenes, like, I vividly remembered, and I think I only saw this for, like, the second or third time um, watching it this week for this pod. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those films. It's um, it's very impactful. Like, people remember this film for a long time. It scars them. Um, and while it's not, like... Uh, you know, fantastic horror. It's not super technical, super innovative. It's just like downright disturbing. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's why it stays with people for so long. I think I also saw it for probably the first time at that very all-nighter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And like a lot of other movies I've seen, it was heavily built up as like one of the scariest movies ever Mm. because you talk to like 30 or 30 to 40 year old Australian men and that's like <laughs> this is what they think of as like the scariest movie yeah yeah uh, and so in my mind as a s- overly self-confident teenager mm. whatever I was like oh this isn't gonna scare me this isn't scary and so I didn't take it as seriously as I, as I should have yeah and then only watched it for the second time yesterday or last night mm. I really like it oh yeah I, man yeah. I love this film I didn't I did not appreciate it the first time I watched it but when I come back and watch it 10 whatever the fuck years later mm. I really appreciate it Yeah man And it's... think it is actually I'm now one of those 30 to 40 year old <laughs> men I do think it is I think it's one of the scariest movies Yeah like, like it's it's not full of jump scares um, You know it's it's got a lot of like long slow tense moments Where again it's like just a static shot Or a, mm. you're watching this scene play out And you're just on the edge of your seat or, or cringing um, as to what could happen next. Yeah. Um, and this is like a horror version of a Crocodile Dundee. You've got this overtly Australian <laughs> character put with these tourists. Mm. Um, I mean, they even reference fucking Crocodile Dundee in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it just works a treat. Um, this was written and directed by Greg McLean in his debut feature. Yeah. Um, and this guy also did Rogue, which I believe you were a fan of. Yeah, big Crocodile movie. Yeah. I didn't mind it. I just didn't like... How it ended. But uh, I, I did enjoy... I, I love crocodiles and sharks and snakes and shit like that. So I, I love a good um, homegrown creature feature. But yeah, debut film, man. He was like mid-30s when he shot this. So he didn't have a whole lot of experience either. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, starring John Jarrett, of course. Uh, As the lovable, what, Mick Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And he just absolutely crushes this role. Like, this has got to be a career highlight for this man. Oh, for sure. And um, uh, Nathan Phillips, Cassandra McGrath, and Kesti Morassi. Those two of which, uh, the chicks, are Australian actors just putting on British accents. Oh, that's pretty good, then. Yeah, which, um, an interesting choice from the director. Um, but, I mean, it's convincing enough. Like, I was surprised to learn that. Yeah, I, I mean, j- you said it right there, and I did not know. Yeah. So, done well. Um, made on a budget of $1 million. So, very, very simple film. Uh, but it made $30 million, give or take, at the box office. So, one of the more successful ones um, on this list. In fact, probably one of the most successful Australian horrors after uh, The Babadook, I'd say. Oh, surely. And um, I believe this is one of Quentin Tarantino's favourite horrors. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. Um, which is interesting, because it, it's... The only kind of thing I noticed that was like Tarantino-esque after reading that was like just 
long drawn out scenes with borderline comical dialogue in a horrible situation. Yeah, like the the horrible person doing the fucking shit is like saying sort of funny things. Like quipping. Yeah, like quipping. There yeah, you go. torturing someone and making jokes. Like yeah. look at fucking Reservoir Dogs. And sort of treating Pulp it fiction. and treating it not as a malice act, but just like he's enjoying himself and he doesn't think it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the story was inspired by the Ivan Milat and Bradley Murdoch backpacker murders mm-hmm. um, in Outback Australia. Uh, and shot chronologically. So uh, Jared didn't wash his arms for the filming um, due to having fake tattoos and blood. Yeah. He wanted to get a real rugged kind of outback dirty look. Probably and, just didn't want to um, reapply the tattoos every day. <laughs> yeah, I think that's literally what it was. Oh, okay. Uh, and it took four months for him to perfect that creepy laugh <laughs> that he does. I don't even know how he would do it. It's just, it's, oh, I don't know if it's because he's like, it's like an Edward chuckle because like his mouth's yeah. shut when he does it and it just, oh, gets under your skin. Um, and I watched an interview with him that he wanted some trait of this character, Mick Taylor, to be the equivalent, the Australian equivalent of the Jaws theme. He's like, <laughs> okay. I want the audience to hear or see something that they know exactly what it's from and it stays with them for years. And, um, An interesting point that he made as well in the same interview was Mick Taylor is a very unnerving, placid character. Like, he's so calm and, like, enjoys torturing these people. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, he only yells the once in the entire When they fuck up his car. Yeah, yeah. And that just makes him all the more, like, unpredictable, I think. Yeah, and I think he does such a good job of, like, the the turn he makes from... And that's the reason I think this movie is so effective, especially mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it before or don't know anything about it, is going into it, it there's like elements of creepiness when they're are like alone stuck at Wolf Creek. It's definitely like a creepy atm- atmosphere. Yeah. But then you got this guy that rocks up and he's super friendly. He doesn't outwardly display any like malice or mm. he, you don't really think he's a bad guy. Yeah. And then it's suddenly it turns and it's like, oh no, he's fucked up out of nowhere. Because he even gives them like a choice seemingly because like yeah. when when their car's fucked and they want like a lift in a town he's like i'm going north you're going south bit of a bugger like he doesn't push the idea of yeah. like come with me we you've got to come with me if you want to live or anything like that it's um it seems very natural yeah and well, um, that's because he's done it many times well that's true he he literally just patrols this stretch of highway in the West Australian outback looking for tourists to uh, take back to his camp, which I believe is like an abandoned mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, Did you see the name of Daughters the mine? I didn't catch it, but I read yeah. where they got the name from. Yeah. Very cool. Just Ivan and Malat backwards. Yeah, yeah. So what would that be? Like Nivaltilem mine or something like that. Sure. I'm not yeah. even going to attempt it. <laughs> I thought that was cool. I didn't notice it, but I, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's sick. Good attention to detail. Uh, and the director actually let the actors improvise um, for about five minutes or so after each scene played out. Um, apparently, he never called cut. Huh. And that was to kind of encourage them to just um, like bounce off each other. And I think that's noticeable uh, a few times, but it works to its benefit. Like in that scene, I guess I was talking about before where you first meet Mick uh, and he comes upon these three tourists. And when uh, I-, I think Ben like asks how much it'll cost and he's like no no it's a favor like it's it's not going to cost you anything and then there's just this awkward laughter for a good like <laughs> minute where they just don't know what to say yeah but it just oh, it's but it so works because it like in that situation it it would be awkward yeah yeah it's so good and um speaking of of improvisation 
Um, apparently, Kesty, uh, the actress who played Christy, chose not to know what John was to do in the shed scene when she's tied to the pole. Oh, yeah. So that whole scene, he, she was just like surprised by the different things he was saying or doing when he like pretends to shoot at her and, and he like misses and mm-hmm. like grabbing her by the hair and all this kind of thing. Like she didn't know any of that was going to happen, which is pretty fucking gnarly. Sure. Um, respect. Uh, yeah, and this is set in Broome 1999, right? Because I think the Malat murders were late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I don't know any exact dates, but that sounds right for sure. Mm, mm. Uh, and very Australian. This film is overtly Australian. Yeah, th- this is in the other direction, whereas like Body Melt is like suburban Australia. This is all right, mm. Outback. Outback, yeah. killer, killer in the Outback. It's Outback Australia. The victims of Body Melt are like upper middle class and these are like literally backpacking tourists yeah. in the middle backpacking of nowhere. Backpacking tourists and then there's just... Those Rednecks of like the locals. And- oh, that's such a good scene of like... Not like horrible social anxiety, but I imagined myself in that situation. The fuel and station I had like heart palpitations. Oh, dude, I was. And <laughs> yeah. any like confrontational like fight scene in a movie, I just. Oh. But it's not even a fight scene. It's like the lead up to it, where it's like, okay, so there's these like dicks in the pub, or you know, it's like a pub, like a fuel server or whatever. Yeah. It's like okay, but then like okay, if they're being dicks, and you try and say anything back to yourself, it just riles them up, and then it could lead to this confrontation. It's like, oh, I... Just beat the shit I out of you. don't know what ties. I would do in that situation. Because yeah. you're also literally thousands... Well, thousands. Probably thousands, hundreds of Ks from anywhere mm. where any help would be. Yeah. And uh, you've got, like, people in thongs and footy shorts. I think Ben even has, like, a Southern Cross tattoo. Yeah. Like, he's, on his bicep. Yeah, he's the Australian character of the trio. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, a bit of a slow start, this film. Like... It's about an hour 45, I think, and you don't, like, they don't wake up tied up in his camp until, like, halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's, so, that's why I think it's so good. It's just yeah. half a movie of build-up, and then it just takes a turn, then it's immediately, like, all right, go for the next mm. half of the movie. Which I think is really smart decision in, in editing and, and directing, I guess, is because you get kind of, like, relaxed mm. and accommodated with these characters just having fun and um, just the freedom of traveling without a care in the world across... Australia, um, but then the second half of the film is Mick doing that, yeah, <laughs> just relaxing and having fun, and you are very much tense. You're not relaxed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, also like that Liz, the first chick who wakes up, or, or that you show in that situation when they've been um, held captive, is quite smart. Like she sees she's yeah. tied, she cuts it with like a piece of glass. Climbs out the window, but then closes the window again, so it doesn't look like she's escaped. No, I don't think she does, because later there's a shot where Mick looks over and sees the window. Oh, okay. I thought oh, he just suspected oh, yeah, okay. that maybe, maybe she'd escaped. Maybe I'm misremembering. Uh, but yeah, and then she like set, lights the fire, mm. an explosion to Puts shoes on, lure him away. so she can like she knows she's got a long way to run if she has to get away. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought, thought she was very, very smart. Like, she doesn't scream, either. Mm. She doesn't let him know that she's awake. And, um... Yeah, and when, they, when they're back, when they go back to Mick's camp, I think he calls it, and they're just like drinking around the fire, he just kind of tells a story of how he was like a pig shooter and was like hunting buffaloes and things, mm-hmm. um, and just describes like how to kill them. Um, and then Ben, the Australian guy of the three, tries to like have a bit of 
bit of fun at his expense. And then like Mick just sits back and like stares at him in <laughs> silence for ages. That's, that was also just uncomfortable. That's very like Shining-esque of just yeah. let's hold a shot on this guy that's like making a weird face <laughs> for 10 seconds. True, true. Um, yeah. And then as the film unfolds and like I said, you've got that pretty horrendous scene of um, Christy like tied to the pole. Uh, and she's like bloodied and has no pants on, so you can only kind of guess what's happened to her. And mm-hmm. um, well, uh, and then oh, because she Liz is like watching from the window. I love that whole scene. Is just like her point of view. Mm-hmm. It's like shaky hand held through the window. Yeah, a lot, um, of the, a lot of this movie is like shaky hand held camera work. Yeah, and I think it's smart how she sees him like feed a few bullets in there, and then when she like breaks in and surprises him with a rifle, he's like. Oh, yeah, you're out of luck. I only put one down the spout. Like, he's trying to play her, but she yeah. saw him load it and shoots him in the fucking neck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. And I do like after they, they trash his car. Um, that was also smart, like rolling it over the cliff with the headlights on so he thinks they went over. And then just hiding. Yeah. Fucking Hobbit Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging over the cliff. Yeah. Oh, um, first time I saw this, I thought he was just going to like look down and see him just like step on their fingers or something. Um, but no, she like, Liz makes it back, um, to the shed and like gets Chrissy to wait. And that's when she finds like all the fucking cars of like previous victims and yeah, like the cameras and stuff. Yeah. The and cameras, you, you see the one, livings. you see that one where it's like the camera of a family. It's got like little girls. Oh, and that's I like, know. Oh, wow, that's, that's yeah, interesting. That's rough. And cause I do like when he reappears at the end, um, and you get the like car chase scene it's got like a South Australia num- number plate. Yeah. Because then it obviously you don't realize like all those cars are from previous victims, like when they're in his shed. Uh, so I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. And you know what I love about um, that scene is the fucking bullet through the thermos. Oh, yeah. Like you hear the sound. I forgot about that. You hear the sound when um, Christy gets collected by um, Some someone driving guy. by and then he looks up. And there's just like the liquid pouring out of this thermos and then he gets his fucking brains blown out from a sniper rifle. So sick. Mm-hmm. Such a such a cool moment. Another thing I think is interesting about this movie as well is like the main character changes mm. a lot throughout the movie. Like it kind of opens with, what's his name? Ben. Right? Ben, yeah. It opens with Ben. He kind of seems like the main character. And then it's all three of them having fun, a nice family friend road trip. Mm. And then it transitions to her as the main character, Christy, Olive. Uh, I confused the two. Christy. I think the is next because like she like ends up sleeping with Ben, but regrets it. And then Liz, Liz is the well, one with like the short hair. They don't sleep together, but all right. Don't don't they wake up like in the same bed? Nah. And that's why she leads Ben on to say, "Oh, I think Liz has a crush on you. Maybe you should act on that because she wants him to like forget it." No, I'm almost certain. I watched this yesterday. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> you don't remember that when they're like at the backpackers like after the pool party. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up in the bed with Ben? No. Okay, okay. Maybe we watch different (laughs) versions, man. Because there's a whole subplot of he has a a, a quote-unquote girlfriend from another state. Yeah. So the other chick, I don't know. Irrelevant. (laughs) Um, So it transitions to her as the main character. There's a lot of sexual tension regardless. Yeah, yeah, it transitions to her as the main character for like a good chunk of the movie. She Mm. saves the other chick and then just immediately gets like killed. Yeah. Kind yeah. of off screen. Like you see her get paralyzed, like the head on a stick. Scene, oh, that is... famous fucking head on a stick line. Yeah. Makes it um, cringe. And then, all right, cool. She's dead. Change the fucking main character again. Yeah. Back yeah. to the other chick. And then she dies. Mm. And then it's back to Ben as the main character. Yeah. So you... It's kind of forgotten about for like most of the movie. That's right. You only see him waking up 
back at the camp in like the last like 10 minutes mm. of the movie. Because I remembered that scene when uh, fucking Liz and Christy die. I was like, fuck, do you never see Ben again? Was I like misremembering a different movie? Because um, he's like strung up with like rods through his arms. Yeah. With like some hungry dogs in a cage uh, that look like they're to uh, devour his legs when you look at the fucking corpse next guy, to him yeah. that's got like an exposed pelvis. Dude, the makeup and the effects in this film are sick. <laughs> Even like, the scene where like he goes to, a uh, Mick goes to like slash oh, whichever the, the fingers? girls. Yeah, and she holds oh. a hand up and sliced the fingers off. That looks so good. Yeah, man. See, I didn't know if... Because did you watch this on Netflix? Stan. Stan? I watched like the unrated version on Blu-ray, so I didn't know if I was going to see some parts that you hadn't for okay. this pod. Apparently two people sleeping together, but all right. So, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that was extra footage. And even when they're in the shed and he's like, oh, this other girl, we had fun for like months together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a torso decomposing, <laughs> which is, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's why I think this movie is like the scariest of certainly any Australian movie, but like even just in regards to movies, like mm. I'm, I don't scare easily. And I don't think this is like scary. I'm scared. But I think the concepts behind it of this is very realistic. Mm. This could literally happen and has happened in real life. With yeah. Alive and Malad yeah. stuff. And just the idea that, all right, yes, it was just these guys in the wrong place, wrong time, meet someone they think is trying to help them. Mm. And then is actually just fucking them up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, one of the scariest things about this movie is what you don't see. Like, we always say this on the pod, your imagination's way scarier than anything you can be shown. But, I don't know. Local cinema kind of, like, does the best of both worlds in that regard, where Mm. it's, like, the consequence of what could happen if they don't escape. Like, considering the fact that you said that other girl was there for months. Yeah. And he was just, like, raping and torturing her over that period is just hella disturbing. But also every like uncomfortable scene is just a single shot. So, yeah. Um, and what I really like is Ben kind of escapes and he gets picked up by tourists and like bloody um, taken to a hospital by air. But then they show him like in custody mm-hmm. because obviously there's these two people missing and, and dead and he was with them. So now he's like a main suspect in that yeah. case. I really like that twist. But... Um, Obviously, you get the the title card at the end where it's like, oh, he was, um, you know, cleared of suspicion. Yeah, he he was uh, exonerated and now lives in South Australia in peace or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like they had that opening title card of like thirty thousand Australians reported missing every year, ninety percent found within a month, some never kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it says the old based on actual <laughs> events, where yeah. it was just kind of inspired by Ivan Malat's killings. Um, this Ben character was not a real person, so they just kind of have that at the end um, to just kind of feed into that feel, mm. I think. Yeah, I've, I think I've said before how I'm not a big fan of when movies try to play the whole based on true events stuff, Yeah, yeah. which is always for marketing, like, oh, let's create a hype about this movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this one I feel like is good enough, mm. like based on the Ivan Malat stuff. Although I think I read that he, uh, who Greg McLean? Mc, McLean? Mc, oh, the McNeil? director? McLean, yeah. yeah. Like had already like created like a script or something for the movie mm. or an idea of just an Australian killer. But then when he was reading all the Ivan Malat stuff and I think there was another... Oh, the Bradley Murdoch. Movie. Yeah, I think it was Bradley Murdoch. Yeah. He changed it and worked around it so that it was mm. similar to that. So it's an Australian guy picking up tourists or backpackers. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Uh, some really cool shots in this as well. Like the... I, I know it's not identical, but the shot of 
mixed silhouette walking into the sunset at the end. Mm-hmm. Kind of very reminiscent of that shot in Texas Chainsaw when Leatherface is just kind of like wildly swinging the chainsaw around in the sun. Sure. Yeah, I just really enjoyed that. It's like silhouette of the, the bad guy in like a sunset or a sunrise. Mm. A lot of shots too, just they just kind of show off how good Australia can look. Like you get the... Yeah. the, the, the Perth beaches, you mm. get the actual Wolf Creek crater, mm-hmm. like all the, I think there's a couple of shots where like the trees were just like hundreds and hundreds of like cockatiels or cockatoos or... One of them. Yeah, one of them, the white birds. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely showing off um, our landscape. And I also enjoyed the shots of like um, the sun, like slowly dipping mm. b- below the horizon and the full moon, which I liked being called Wolf Creek. Yeah, I like the, full, the obligatory full moon shot. And the, you get also nice. the shots of just looking up and seeing, like, the stars. And, oh, like, like once the, you get far enough out and there's no light pollution, like, you can see the whole fucking galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Um, my dad and I used to go beach fishing when I was a kid, and we'd be there, like, overnight. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, it was such a cool sight um, when you had a clear night and you can see, like, the fucking Milky Way <laughs> right above you. There was a there was a, a sequel, Wolf Creek 2, and uh, Wolf Creek... Three, I think, is set to come out next year. Yeah, I only learned about that today. That's surprising. And I've uh, not seen Wolf Creek 2. And a miniseries on Stan, mm. which I've not seen, which I believe is still John Jarrett as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've watched Wolf Creek 2. i got to say, uh, Wolf Creek, the original, is much more kind of drawn out and disturbing and like technically shot. Mm-hmm. But Wolf Creek 2 definitely ups the gore factor. Oh, okay. You would enjoy it. It's like Wolf Creek meets Saw. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Might and, have to um, actually watch it. And it definitely leans into the fact that he thinks he's like on a mission to rid Australia of like foreign <laughs> vermin. Like it definitely leans into that sort the of... Racism. Yeah. The xenophobia of it all. Um, so yeah. I'd say it's worth a watch, but Wolf Creek is definitely, um, definitely up there for me. And yeah, a lot of people, I, I think listeners of this pod have let us know as well that um, Wolf Creek was one of their first like memories of horror mm. in general. And um, I think growing up in Australia used to shows like Neighbours and Home and Away, when you see a guy in something like this, is just like, whoa. <laughs> it's like yeah, a rite think, of passage. Because wasn't he like hosting like a gardening show he or was, something at the yeah. time? Yeah. yeah, it's like if fucking Jamie Jury was Jigsaw. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck Jamie Jury is, but... Oh, he's another one of those like... Gardening TV personalities oh, from okay. way back when. What about Huey? You know the cook Huey. Oh, what, if, what if he God. just started cooking up people? Can you imagine him playing like John Wayne Gacy or something like that? <laughs> anyway, shall we move on? Let's move on to the another one, which I had literally never heard of until you brought it up. Yeah, this is one I'd not seen, but I'd heard other people talk about and had recommended to me many times, and I just never got around to it because it was kind of hard to find. But ninety-eight um, percent. Critics score on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. which caught my attention. This is The Loved Ones from 2009. Mm-hmm. So just a few years after Wolf Creek came out. And uh, another one written and directed by the same guy, actually. This was Sean Byrne in his debut feature yep, as debut. well. So got some breakout talent here. Um, he was also responsible for The Devil's Candy. Which, which I've never heard of. Oh, you've not heard of? Okay. No. Um I've been meaning to see that for a while, but I've just never gotten around to it. I'm not even sure of the concept, but it's um, definitely the same kind of like... Is that just a slang for like Xanax or ecstasy? I, I presume candy? it's got like drug themes uh, like this one does. Um, yeah. What did you think of this? Because we both saw this for the first time like this weekend. 
It might be a result of me going with, like I said, zero expectations because I'd never heard of it, mm-hmm. but I loved it. Yeah, it was man. really good. Yeah. Uh, it scratched all of the itches in my sadistic serial killer yeah. loving brain. I figured you'd enjoy it. Uh, it, other than Wolf Creek being like overtly Australian outback, mm. this seems like the most Australian looking movie because it's set in sort of the in-between. It's not quite outback. It's not quite suburbia. It's mm. like outer suburbia where you still get like big, you know, ovals and fields and like yeah. those very specific type of trees, like gum trees and shit. Mm. But then there's still like suburban houses You've got and like stuff. schools as well. And yeah. Uh, and it, it just looks the most like a town or a bunch of towns that I've driven through or been mm. to. Mm. And like we said at the start of this episode, I think that's what makes it so freaky. It's like, this could be happening next door. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Yeah. Knowing your street, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, starring Xavier Samuel, Robin McLeavy and John Brumpton. Uh, and I read that John Jarrett turned down the role of Daddy. Yeah. Uh, because he didn't... Didn't want to be like typecast as the bad guy, Didn't want to be guy, like fucking Jack Nicholson and always play the bad guy. Uh, Which I think is fine because... What did you say this guy's name was? The dad. Yeah, the dad. John Brumpton. I think he did such a good job of playing just uh, unsettlingly creepy. And was- I, I think I prefer... Because if it was John Jarrett, I think it would have done the movie a big disservice. Yeah. Because you'd go in and John Jarrett's like this you know, gruz, like gruffled, grizzled guy. Whereas I think the character works better if he's kind of like weaselly, kind of mm. like almost... Like submissive. Yeah, very submissive to his own daughter. Mm. Uh, and I think that like works very well with that character. Yeah, he's like a doting father to his own detriment. Yeah, and he's also very... Um, I don't know, I can't think of the word, but he's not the kind of guy you would expect mm. to torture someone. Mm. That's right. And I think John Jarrett would overplay Robin McLeavy. Um, I mean, she did great. Like, I read that um, she prepared for the role uh, under Sean Burns' um, suggestion uh, by watching Misery. I can, yep. And that, uh, def- definitely vibes from that. And researching the torch methods of Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer? I, like, when, when I said, like, it scratches the itchy, itches, yeah, itches of mm-hmm. um, Serial Girl, like, it's very Dahmer inspired. Oh, yeah. It kind of also sent me down a rabbit hole of Robert Burdella, who's I another. Say I know that name. Neither had I, but he was apparently a very, uh, I don't know if he was well-known, but very prolific serial killer in the 80s in America. Okay. And he, that I think, I assume that's where they got the idea of when she injects bleach into his larynx oh, to stop him screaming. Yeah, that's that's, that's something that he would do to his victims. Yeah. And yeah, I was like down a 45-minute rabbit hole just looking up him. Wow. And he did some fucked up shit. Oh, he, yeah. He's a real... He was a real torturous scumbag. Wow. I mean, that's the first thing that they do, isn't it? Like, yeah. to him. Yeah. And then it just fucking picks up from there. Uh, it's it's a grisly watch. Like, if you're squeamish, <laughs> um, there were moments in this that I found harder to watch than fucking Saw X. Yeah, but, I think, um, I think a, a very good description of this movie is... Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. There were so many times in this movie where I was watching like, oh, that's fucked. There were moments where I was like, oh, they're not going to show that. <laughs> and then it's just like one shot watching it happen in a close-up. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck me. There were, I was watching with Alex this morning and there were scenes where she'd like, no, nah, I can't watch that. I yeah. look away. Yeah. Um, I suppose we should also address uh, some of the the financial uh, side of it. So made on a budget of $4 million, so, uh, more than Wolf Creek there, um, despite having really like two, maybe three settings, mm-hmm. um, and only made about 350k. Yeah, so not box financially office. successful at all. Sleeper but, hit. But apparently did very well. Yeah. Like yeah. critically and review wise. And it's kind of like if Carrie was evil, minus the telekinesis. 
and a lot more sadistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like if Carrie was, oh, I forgot her name. The chick from Misery. From Misery. Yeah, like the character's name. Anyway, like if, if Carrie oh, and Misery Kathy had Bates. a baby. Oh, not Kathy Bates. Annie Wilkes. Yeah, Annie Wilkes. If, if yeah. Carrie was Annie Wilkes, this is the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't have proms over here. We have like formal. Yeah. Which is like the dance, I guess, after graduation. Um, but they use the term prom in here, which maybe was to appeal to global audiences. Yeah, I think it's probably for marketing reasons. But um, Americans aren't going to know what a school formal is. Yeah, yeah. And it's essentially this like outcast Lola... At the main guy, Brent's school, asks her to the dance and he declines because he's gone with his he's girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, she gets her dad to abduct him and they just spend the night torturing him mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else is at the fucking school yeah, dance. Pretty much just playing out her fantasy, which you eventually find out that she's done to other people. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, do you think they had done like the whole school dance graduation theme to no, these other guys? Or I, it was no, just... I don't think that's the case because it seemed very like... Just like this is this is her thing right now. Like she's dancing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What she's dancing? She's it's the school dance. Uh, I don't know what the previous stuff would have been if they were they were all for like some special occasion or mm. if it's just. All right, well, you're I my like boyfriend this guy. now. Yeah. He said no. Let's torture him. Yeah. It kind of starts with the this father and son um, driving, and he, he's on his owls, and he swerves to miss this guy, and his dad dies when he hits a tree, and then the rest of the film kind of takes place six months later. And now the main character, Brent, has kind of become this, uh, like, guilt-ridden, potentially suicidal character, grieving the loss of his father. And Mm -hmm. he's got, like, this razor blade necklace that he cuts himself with and um, always getting high to kind of get through daily life and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind 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 of emotionally stunted with his girlfriend. Like, there's that scene where she says, I love you, and he's like... Oh, I can't remember what he says. Oh, it's, it's another it's one. It's not like, the I know, but it's something yeah. like that. He, he either doesn't say anything back or he says something okay. else. Yeah. <laughs> and like gives her a kiss and then leaves. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I, I do like it's touching. Like later you find the note that, uh, the, the card that he wrote for her. Yeah. That, that's pretty touching. Like, all right, yeah. He knows he's like emotionally not there properly, yeah. but yeah. he can sort of express it in writing. I was trying to figure out what that meant because it's like a picture of like Humpty Dumpty on the front and it's like, thank you for doing what all the king's horses and their men couldn't. And I was like, you oh, put him together. Yeah, I was going to say, you I was like, that. it took me a second. I was like, what does this mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a lot of themes of like growing up and losing innocence uh, in this film. Like, I guess for starters, you've got death, like in mm-hmm. the opening scene. Sure. Um, but then you things like, you know, Graduating high school, getting a driver's license, um, doing drugs, uh, losing your virginity, all this kind of thing. Murder, I guess, <laughs> if you want to go that far. Ah, your first murder. Um, yeah, so it's like all these, like, it's very um, kind of thick with these these images and these messages. Um, but very good story, uh, I feel. Um, and in a way, uh, the kind of, I don't want to say this in a way that sounds like I'm glorifying it, but in a way, like, the self-harm... Uh, and the emotional anguish that he's gone through in the wake of his father's death made him stronger um, to be able to, I guess, stick it out when he's he's getting abused and tortured by Lola and her dad. Yep, sure. Because um, there's even like that scene where she's like sitting on his lap, like telling him to cry, oh, and he's just like he's staring hammer- a dead as the dad's in the hammering eye. the steak knives into his feet. Yeah, dude, and they're showing close-ups of it, like yeah. inching down to the hilt. And he's just fucking staring in her eyes, like gritting his teeth. That that's, was that's, sick. That's stubbornness right there. Yeah, that was badass. Um, fucked, but badass. 
And man, because they like, um, yeah, inject bleach in his vocal cords. She fucking carves a heart on her chest with a fork. Yeah, why with a fork, man? I know. When I saw her holding the fork, I was like, oh, what the fuck is she about <laughs> to do? But then it shows him and it's like already done. Yeah. And he's just in the aftermath of it. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't they throw like some kind of powder on it? Salt. Oh, salt, salt in the wounds. Oh, true. Because yeah. she like unscrews the cap and just fucking throws the whole thing on him. You know, oh, you know Alex's takeaway from that? What's that? She's like, oh, I didn't know you could take the top off those. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Yeah, well. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, like you get shit. the torture of the Dharma stuff comes in where they try to lobotomize Oh, him my God. Put boiling water. Where Power drill in acid. the skull. Yeah, and they've successfully done it because you've got bright eyes like the, the mother. Yeah, like there. zombified at the dinner table. Yep. It took me a while to figure out like who she was. Like I had the inkling she was the mother, but they didn't like explicitly say it mm. until the end when she's like "Good night, mummy," which is kind of spoon fed you by that point. But well, I don't think it's actually, I don't think it actually is her mother. I think it's oh, I, I the way I took it was maybe the mother either wasn't around or died very young, mm. and this was like kind of the father's replacement, maybe. Uh, okay. Although maybe I'm reading too much into it, and it literally is just the mother. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they do have this sick kind of like. Oedipal scenario going on where the dad kind of like has these like sexual inclinations toward Lola that he doesn't want to admit and she kind of like teases him by like getting changed into that dress right in front of him and yeah it's very like, incestuous saying you're like you're my prince you always have been things like that like it's ugh. that was the pretty gross that was the biggest oh that's fucked moment <laughs> steak knives in the feet no. bleach in the vocal cords no no father and daughter about to make out no thanks yeah and I mean, he even kills Brent's dog because, like, yeah. And then they, the dog, like, crawls home, and then they find it's. Had, I don't like, know. A... The dog doesn't crawl home. Oh, he's uh, like dropped off. The mother, I believe, goes to look for him, and I think finds the dog. Finds the dog. Okay. Yeah. And it's got like, and, and nails being hammered into it, and ugh, mm, rough. Yes. Oh, that's that's fucked too. Where like you find out that that's what they did, and like, oh yeah, mm. he put a nail, like he. You use the hammer on your dog, and then I say, like, "Oh, and a nail." Yeah, and then it's like, if you don't start pissing, oh. he's gonna put it through your dick. It's like oh, they just no. level it up every time in this film when they've tortured him. The next thing just makes you cringe yeah. so much more because yeah. he because he says he's got to go to the bathroom, and by that point he's been like cutting his ties, like the rope with mm. the razor blade pendant. So you suspect it's like a ploy to escape. And then she's like, "All right." Finishes this fucking glass of milk, milks his dick in it. Because of course it's milk. Yeah, yeah. And just like, all right, you got to the count of 10. (laughs) Oh, man. And then you just hear it on the nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was... Talk about tension, creating (laughs) tension. One of my favorite things, though, was uh, when he does escape and he climbs up the tree and Mm -hmm. they choose to just stone him down with these fucking like rocks they pick up from the ground. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a good three four minute scene of them like hurling these rocks trying to hit him like there's no dialogue it's just them laughing as they're trying to do it like mm-hmm. oh man it's just so uncomfortable um and uh yeah it turns out these like zombie like previous victims are just kept under the fucking floorboards in the yeah, dining that, room that's definitely when the movie takes on like another turn of that's fucked it's like oh okay. feeding them roadkill yeah just they're keeping alive zombified boys or men in the basement that have yeah. just like become emaciated and zombified. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's rough. And um, it's a lot of this, like, awkward childlike dialogue mm-hmm. as well. Like, she's very much, like, still got a kid's mindset because of the way she's been treated, I guess. Um, or, 
I don't know, wants to be perceived by her dad as like the little girl never growing up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like match cuts, I noticed. Like there's that one moment when Lol is kind of pressing play on the boombox and you hear the music and then it like shows them dancing at the the prom, not actually in that kind of dining room. Um, And again, when like Brent's friend and, and Holly are like having sex in the car and before that they show like Lola's dad walking out of the house um, out the front door, uh, like approaching a car. And then it shows like oh, yeah. the friend and Holly having sex in the car and then the knock on the window. And you're like, oh, fuck, they've like, they've left the dance and wound up with this fucking house. But then it's the principal. Yeah. Things like that I thought were really nice touches. Um, Just pl- playing on your expectations and then twisting it. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. There's and, like a small um, moment there as well where it's it's just after they, I think, drill into his head. Yeah, and you hear like the sound of like a rising whistling, and I thought that yeah. was I thought that was non diegetic. Like I thought that was part of the soundtrack. Same. Like right, Same. something big's about to happen, and then he literally gets the kettle. I'm like, oh, okay, that was in the movie. <laughs> it's just a kettle boiling. I think it might have been like foley though, because it was like an electric kettle. It wasn't on a stovetop. Like, do they make that sound when it's just an I electric mean, one probably, boiling? You can probably get some that do. Yeah, but I did notice that. That was cool. Definitely uh, effective, and a lot of like kind of good color work in here as well like you had the pink blue and yellow at um lola's house where they're all dressed in their respective colors there's the balloons and the decorations that match um you had like holly the chick who's like in all black with black hair black mascara black fingernails black tattoos yeah and (laughs) you find out um the reason she's like so rebellious and um depressed i guess is because her brother was one of the victims of lola mm-hmm. and you later find out that was the person that brent swerved to miss when he crashed the car and his dad died so everything kind of comes full circle and a uh, really cool australian soundtrack as well they very, hammer very, the fucking case in chambers metal but um yeah i liked a lot of the thrash he had like metallica posters in his room Little river band there, and um, did you pick up the Parkway Drive at one point? I did not. Ah, nice. Where was that? Uh, I can't remember when it played, but I noticed it was like um, it was just a short passage, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really familiar." And I was looking at the soundtrack, and it was Idols and Anchors. <laughs> okay. I was like, "Oh, that's sick." Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I will also point out for this episode, I did wear my Luca Brasi shirt. Yes, I noticed band. that. I was going to compliment you when I walked in, but I forgot. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Back to the like when you were talking about the the goth girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever her name was, Holly. Holly, I do like how like that part of the story came full circle and f- made everything sort of fit together. Mm. But I do kind of feel like that whole subplot with her and the friend seems kind of irrelevant because I there's, there's bits throughout the movie where it cuts from this main thing to that, and I guess it maybe is just put in there to sort of break up the torture scenes with some moments of levity and moments mm. of comedic. Uh, value but mm. nothing really comes of it that's a fair point you probably didn't need that twist if you wanted to work it in you could probably have that like brent maybe had an older brother and maybe that's the oh, one i, I think that'd be a, i think that'd be a bit too far that'd be a bit too far yeah because then it's fucking two deaths in the family but um i think the real purpose that that friend and holly served was so they could show shots of the actual prom yeah maybe because if you don't have any kind of affiliation with any of the characters that actually attended, then like, what are they going to show at the dance? Yeah, no, it'd just fair. be overlay. Also, I I never really went to school dances, but how shit did that fucking school formal look? Yeah, it looked pretty grim. Yeah, gravely serious. 
And like, because they're all just like slow dancing, all the couples, and she's like feeling him up. And everyone's just staring at her. It's like, was it that obvious? Like, was everyone just fucking standing there awkwardly well, and th- looking at them? I think you'd notice if someone's getting felt up in the middle of the dance floor. Have you been to a dance floor recently? Everyone's getting fucking felt up. <laughs> yeah, not in high schools. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, what a movie, man! It caught me off guard how like confronting it was, but I I very much enjoyed it. If you're if you've got like a steel stomach, it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's well made, um, and it's got some some really creative <laughs> torture methods. Uh, obviously, like I said, inspired from others. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, cool story, cool film, and uh, recommend it if you can find it. Yes, another one that um. I very much enjoyed um, that I wanted to mention was Hounds of Love from 2016. This was another one where it was written and directed by the same guy and it was his debut feature. Uh, this was Ben Young. So, man, we're just like... <laughs> all, all the talent here in our, our film scene is is um, coming out the gate strong. And this was uh, inspired by David and Catherine Burney, which were a Perth couple um, who murdered some girls in, in the 80s uh, known as the Morehouse Murders. Um, it was like a, a couple who would abduct uh, young women, keep them in their house and, and rape and torture before killing them. So uh, similar, I guess, to the last two that <laughs> films that we've kind of discussed. But um, yeah, this was a very disturbing film and a fantastic performance from Stephen Curry um, as the main main killer. Um, we've always said on this pod, like, comedians seem to play the best Killers, mm-hmm. best disturbing characters. I think it's all that fucking body language. And, They've got all the energy. Yeah, the explosive energy where they can go from being like stoic to just like frighteningly. Um, you know, just recommend that if you can if you can get around it. Good watch. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our our take on uh, homegrown horror. Mm-hmm. Some Australian horrors that uh, if they're not on your radar, we recommend. Surely Wolf Creek's at least up there. But um, yeah, Wolf, Wolf Creek would be the best known. Up there with Babadook, mm. and then I mean, obviously, talk to me. Well, yeah, we we haven't mentioned talk to me in this episode yet because we've mentioned it enough on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and I think like in due time, we'll probably give it its own episode. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like that's why we didn't include Babadook in this one because there's enough to kind of go into in that film alone that we could kind of flesh out its own yeah. its own pod. But Whereas these movies we talked about, kind of, they're not, there's not much to them. A mm. lot of it is kind of just. Like, oh, yeah, here's a bunch of people or a person getting killed and there's not too many themes or messages or mm. symbolism behind the movies. Yeah. It's, it's more just interesting torture fests. Very lateral storylines. Um, nothing too, like, convoluted or, or deep. Yes. And, um, yeah, torture. <laughs> I mean, what even is an Australian movie, though? Like, Mad Max. Is that an Australian movie? Because it's... I can't remember who Australia. the director was. I don't know if it's... I mean, it's it stars Mel Gibson is, is what makes me think it's... Not that Australian. Well, isn't he Australian? Wasn't he like born in Australia or, or raised in Australia? Yeah, I don't think of him as Australian though. Okay. It's like we've, we've claimed like Russell Crowe and... Actually, that reminds me. Have you seen Romper Stomper? No. <sighs> I've heard of it though. Yeah. Like I said at the start, our crime thrillers are gnarly. Like um, Chopper. Some, some of my... Yeah, Chopper. Eric Banner is the man himself. Um, some of my favorite films in general are Australian. Like Animal Kingdom I've mentioned on here before. Snowtown. Mm-hmm. Um, which we enjoy. I think we mentioned that in fucking the Babadook because it was the guy <laughs> from it. Yeah. Um, Snowtown's a hard watch. Like it's, I rem- I watched that a few years ago the first time and it like stuck with me for weeks. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it in like a, a bad way. Like it's, <laughs> it, it borderline scarred me. But 
it's just so matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, the way when and it's got everything in it, man. Like it's got fucking. There's drugs. There's sexual violence. There's uh, regular violence. It's graphic. There's animal cruelty. There's I th- swearing. I, th- I think that also sort of not uh, the reason. Maybe one of the reasons it's so bad is because that is like very based on real events. Yeah, like yeah, that is no some real murders, murders that happened and. Like, the movie takes its liberties, obviously, but I think it's kind of pretty faithful to mm. what happened. Do you think it's kind of fucked that a lot of the Australian horrors can be inspired from true events? Uh, I like, mean, a lot of this shit happened in our own backyard. Yeah, but uh, that can be said about anywhere. Like, that's not Australia-specific. Yeah, that's true. Even more fucked up shit happens in America. Mm. I have a, I don't know. I've, I've thought about this a couple of times where I don't know if I like when movies sort of glorify certain serial killers or stuff like that because mm-hmm. they're obviously fucked up people and they're doing bad things and so when people make these cool movies and almost make them look cool I mean look at whatever that movie about Ted Bunny like mm. disgustingly wicked shocking and vile or whatever it's called oh yeah like, like the way the judge described his yeah. acts like they're kind of glorifying a serial killer making him this handsome Zac Efron motherfucker they mm. did the same thing with Dharma where it's like these people shouldn't be glorified like no. I, I'm interested in serial killers but I don't think they should be given the celebrity treatment. A voice? Yeah. Let him die. That's, um, it's an interesting point. I mean, uh, I agree with what you're saying, but to, to counteract that specific example, I think they cast an attractive actor because that was like Ted Bundy's charm. It was like how he lured people in. Yeah, but what about Jeffrey Dahmer? Like Evan Peters yeah. played him, right? I don't think he's that good looking. Fucking, who played Hawkeye? What's his name? Jeremy Renner. Jeremy <laughs> Um, Yeah, I know. It's... uh. That was a lot of criticism with Hounds of Love, um, was particularly the survivor, I think, that the young girl in the film is based on, um, like, despised the film. And she criticized it, saying, like, why would you give these kinds of people a voice? Like, don't let them be remembered. Things like that, Um, which is fair uh, in hindsight. But it's just, it's a very, like, technically well-shot film as well. Mm. Um, I just think I like it better when it's, like, it takes aspects or inspiration from it. Like, Ed Gain has inspired that many fucking horror movies. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but none of them, well, none of the ones that are good are about Ed Gain. They just yeah, take that's things right. that Ed Gain did and use those as influence. Yeah, which I think is important. If you're going to make art, because, I mean, all art is inspired from real events. I think we've had this conversation before where it's like, um, art imitates life, imitates art kind of thing. But... Um, any concept, like there is no original idea anymore in this world, uh, you know, when the only way you can kind of uh, have a unique spin anymore is to draw from actual events because it's so specific. Mm. E- even the kind of classification boards where they're like, why why do you need to film this? <laughs> yeah. Why do you need a scene of sexual torture? Or why do you need, um, you know, an hour 45 film about a a redneck who kidnaps tourists and tortures and rapes them. Like, I understand where they're coming from, but kind of like you said before, like, this stuff happens. Like, it's almost an easier way for people to digest it than reading the news articles. Sure. In in a fucked up kind of way. It's, it's giving people that fear or whatever without actually letting them confront the fact that it does happen in real life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just enough fear to scare them, but not enough fear to traumatize them because this happens in real life. Turning, They'll never want to go outside again. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the art I enjoy is turning pain into something beautiful. 
from sure. from the films I enjoy, horror, for example, um, to heavy metal music. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. that was a very long tangent on our Australian. That episode. was. I should probably uh, probably trim that in editing and just have that poetic uh, <laughs> conclusion at the end. Yes, uh, but I think that's uh, everything we have to say about Australian horror movies. Yeah, go watch uh, Body Melt, Wolf Creek, and The Loved Ones if you can. Yeah, for sure, definitely those ones. Uh, anyway, you can catch us every Friday at 5pm when we drop our episodes on social media and uh, streaming services. Indubitably. Our social media is Deadhouse and Deadhouse Pod. Email mm-hmm. deadhousepod at hotmail.com.au. No dot au, but uh, you were close. Fuck, one of these days. One of these <laughs> days. Or maybe when we get to episode 50, I'll get it you all You just keep out. it fresh. Keep it people on their toes. Uh, yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs>